Just prior to Easter this year, USA Today had a series of articles on people who converted from one faith to another. And uh, basically stories of why one person was raised this way, chose to go into another faith. They had all these different conversions, but the one that particularly caught my eye was this one woman who converted from Christianity to Judaism. She said her childhood experiences in the Christian church left her unable to, quote, reconcile the idea that their way was the only way to heaven with my idea of God. There were too many people left out, she said. She said she converted to Judaism because, quote, I like that Judaism has space for intellectual discussion, opinions, and questions. There is no one right answer. You know, of all the questions Christians are asked, of all the accusations that are hurled at us, uh, I think today's question is probably one that cuts deep maybe even the deepest. Is Jesus Christ really the only way to heaven? Um, well, it's a good question. Obviously, it's an important one that you have the answer for. People say today that that's pretty arrogant. You know, what about other religions? They are so sincere. They live their life, you know, according to their rules. Is God just going to say, you know, I, you were really sincere about your religion, but Christianity is the only way, and I'm sorry, you, uh, you can't come. Or what about the person that doesn't even get to hear about Jesus Christ? Is God going to send them to hell just because they've never heard? That doesn't seem fair. And so you have all this criticism that says there's no way that Christianity can be the only way. And their critics aren't just those outside the church. Among various Lutherans, 67% say they agree or probably agree with this statement. Quote, although there are many religions in the world, most of them lead to the same God. Just last year, poll taken last year, U.S. News and World Report showed that those who call themselves Christians in the United States, only 19% believe that Christianity is the one true religion. Only 19% believe that it is the only one true religion. See, this ranks as a good question today because people commonly assume, as we saw in the film clip, as we read in the USA Today article, Many view that Jesus is just one among many paths to God, that all roads, all paths lead to the same summit. doesn't matter which side of the mountain you go up on. As long as you're going up, you're going to get to God. We kind of view religion like a restaurant row. You're hungry. Any one of these will satisfy your need. You just pick. Any one of them is going to be fine. There's a cartoon in Alice in Wonderland. If you've seen it, you might remember a scene where Alice stops at this big tree that's covered with signs and giving directions. One sign points and says this way, one says that way, one says forward, one says back, and Alice kind of stands there confused and she's not sure which way to go. And the Cheshire cat pops out and says, uh, where are you going? And Alice says, well, I'm not real sure which way I want to go. And the cat says, well, then it doesn't really matter which way you go. The thought being, if you really don't care where your destiny takes you, then you're right. Any one of these things makes perfect sense. Just pick because it doesn't matter. But if you want to go to heaven, and the heaven that is often thought of, particularly here in the United States, as that in the presence of God, then don't you think we ought to listen to what God has to say about how to get there? 
as opposed to just any way that we want to? Let's start with some basic logic. Because if Christ claims to be the only way to God, well, then all religions can't be true. Because Christianity contradicts all others. To say that all ways to God are equally valid assumes that Christianity is like all the other ways. Buddhism follows Buddha, Islam follows Muhammad, Christianity follows Christ, right? We've just all got different prophets or different people that take us in the same direction. But the difference is that the Buddhist eightfold path and that the Hindus' karma and that the Muslims' code of laws and that the Mormons' good works, all these other religions say that you can get to God or your version of God by living a good life. Or, as David said, that your good works kind of outweigh your bad works. And then in the end, God's going to grade on the curve that if your average is above average, then no problem, you get to come into heaven. But Christianity doesn't teach that. Jesus teaches that not only can you not come to God by living a good life, not only can you not come to him by living good works, but that those good works offend him. Because what are you going to do with your sin? See, this is a great question. Uh, I remember one of our translators in Russia was not a believer at the time. And, you know, when I shared the gospel with her, she said, you know, I I just feel like God's going to let me in. And I just kept coming back and I said, well, that's great, but what are you going to do with your sin? What are you going to do with your sin? Because the question, honestly, is not, how do you get to heaven? Really, the bottom line underneath it is, is God holy? Because if God is absolutely holy, he cannot allow sin in his presence. And what are you going to do with your sin? If your sin separates you from God, what are you going to do about that problem? Live a good life? That's fine. What are you going to do with your sin? The sin is the problem, and it's the sin that has to be addressed. And for Christianity to say there's just one way to God, this shocks, this offends our postmodern world. It offends our, our mind. We have sought unity and sacrificed truth. Jesus said there's one way to God. Well, Hinduism denies that. Jesus says we can know God and all meaning comes from God. Well, Buddhism denies that. Jesus claims to be the Son of God in the flesh. Well, Islam denies that. Jesus says that you can come to know God in a personal way. The New Testament teaches that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Agnosticism denies that. See, you can't say that Christianity is just one among many ways because Christianity is in a category all by itself. All other world religions say you come to God or your version of God by good works. Christianity says you can't do that because God is holy. And what are you going to do about your sin? Jesus, of course, died on the cross for our sins. And our way to get to God is not by our good works, but instead it is by the work that Christ did. And so it is not by works, but it is by grace. All other religions say it's by works. Christianity says something different. So either all are wrong and one is right, or one is, is uh, wrong and all the others are right. Which is really a contradiction. Christianity contradicts all the others. All religions can't be true. You know, when Jesus Christ gave the command to evangelize the world, Buddhism... Confucianism, the polytheism of Egypt and Rome, all were well-established already. It wasn't like he was saying something and was ignorant of what was going on at the time. Some say Christianity is a relatively young religion because it's only 2,000 years old. You know, really? Christianity has its roots all the way back to the very beginning of time. 
Because what did God say to Adam and Eve, particularly to Eve, as a result of their sin? That God would send someone who would crush the head of the serpent and solve the problem that sin caused. Separation from God. He said the descendant of woman, a seed of woman, would come. That was a prophecy of Jesus Christ fulfilled. All other world religions are intrusions to seek to save man by some other way than the grace of God. If God is holy, what are you going to do with your sin? God's grace is the only answer. I read someplace that the earth is proportionately smoother than a cue ball. A cue ball is pretty smooth. You ever played pool? Uh, pretty smooth. From outer space, the planet earth is proportionally smoother on its surface than a cue ball. You know what that means? That means from outer space, Mount Everest looks about the same as Galveston. But from our perspective, it's totally different. From down here, our view on earth, Mount Everest is large. We say the same thing as far as sin. We see somebody sin and we say, boy, that's bad. They're never going to make it to heaven. Of course, we're down here on sea level. We're just fine. But from outer space, or you could say from God's vantage point of our sin, it's all the same. Big sin, little sin, sin still the same. And what are you going to do with your sin before a God who is holy? Gandhi, the foremost Hindu of his day, said this, The path of self-purification is hard and steep. To attain perfect purity, one has to become absolutely passion-free in thought, in speech, and in action. And I know that I have not in me as yet that purity in spite of constant, ceaseless striving for it. That's why the world's praises fail to move me. Indeed, it very often stings me. It's a constant source of torture to me that I am separated from the one that I hold to be my life and being, and I know that it is because of my own sinfulness and wretchedness. Gandhi, a Hindu, said, what am I going to do with my sin? So he understood the real issue. That if it's, a, if it's a life of salvation by works, I don't have a confidence that I've got it. And Gandhi was about the best that that religion had to offer. The book of life is not an autographed book of moral people. It is the testimony of God's grace. The issue is not, is there one way to God? But the issue is, how can I stand before a God who is holy and be blameless? And because God is absolutely holy, then only one religion can save If God is truly holy, then any other way that seeks to bribe him by a moral payment is atrocious to him. Sinners don't need diet codes. Sinners need saviors. Sinners don't need to be told to do good works. It's too late for that. They've already sinned. Sinners need a savior to take away their sin. And only Christianity or only Christ offers that. Look at what Jesus himself said. Look at the screen, this famous verse. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What an arrogant statement, unless it's true. And then it's a statement of grace. Notice Christ didn't say, I'm a way. I'm one of many ways. Just pick me if you'd like. I'm the only way. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. And then notice this exclusivism. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. See, this is what throws me for a loop. If there's anything that we've learned in our study of Leviticus so far, it's what? It's that 
If you come to God, you come by the means which he's provided. And we saw a couple weeks ago with Nadab and Abihu, they tried to come into God's presence in a way that was unauthorized by bringing strange fire into his presence to pray in front of God in a way that he had not said that you, you come to me this way. What happened? They died. It's not just any old way. It's not just any old fire. It's not just any old savior, any old prophet, any old religion. It's one way. The sacrifice he has provided, and that is Jesus Christ. So this is what strikes me so odd in that USA Today article about the woman that converted from Christianity to Judaism, saying, Judaism, there's no one right way. Well, that's not conservative Judaism. Judaism looks back at Leviticus and says, there is only one way. And that's the sacrifice that God has provided. This statement that Jesus makes is not arrogant. It is gracious. I am the way. You want to know how to get to the Father? Come through me. And I will not refuse anybody who comes to me. But what about all these other religions that don't try to come through Jesus? They are so sincere. I mean, have you seen the way that they are devoted in their lives? Yes, and that is admirable. Discipline has a form of godliness, doesn't it? But sincerity is not the basis of truth. You can be sincerely wrong. If Christianity says that you're not saved by a diet code, but that you're saved by grace, then all religions that say that you're saved by doing things, either one of them is wrong or all are wrong but one. The prophet Muhammad, interestingly, died on this date, June 8th, A.D. 362, and he is still buried. Jesus Christ died in April, A.D. 33, and he's not buried. He's risen from the dead. So as C.S. Lewis says, you can look at the life of Christ and you can't say, well, he was just a good moral teacher. You've got three choices. He was either a liar, he said he was the son of God, but he knew he wasn't. He is a lunatic, he thought he was, but he really wasn't. Or he is the Lord, he is who he says who he is. You can't just call him a good teacher. Good teachers don't lie. Good teachers aren't lunatics. But good teachers are lords. And Jesus Christ I think, showed that in history with his resurrection. Now, I'd like you to look with me in your Bible, Romans chapter 1. So turn if you brought a Bible. Incidentally, if you didn't bring one, bring one. And if you don't have one, we've got one we can give you out in the lobby, uh, depending on whatever your need is. I'd like you to have a copy of the Word of God for yourself, not just for Sundays, but for your spiritual life every single day. I'd like for us to look at the other side of the coin because there's kind of a, you might say, a sub-point to this good question. Is Christ really the only way? Well, yes. Logically, you say that because all other religions uh, contradict. But also, biblically, we say that because Jesus Christ himself said, I'm it. I'm the only way. Well, then, there's a question that kind of falls under that. Well, then, that's fine. But what about the people that have never heard of Jesus? Is God going to send them to hell just because they've never heard? That's a good question. The Bible answers this one as well. This is not just an American question. I remember when I was in Russia, they asked this question. It is a legitimate question as long as it's honest. A lot of times, though, you'll have people ask this and kind of throw it up as a smokescreen because if the guy in Africa, I don't know why it's always the heathen in Africa, but if the heathen in Africa can get out of it, if there's a loophole because he's never heard of Jesus Christ, then maybe there's a loophole for me. That's usually the thought of why this is thrown up. One missions conference 
there was a poll done that only 37% of the people believed that a person who doesn't hear the gospel is eternally lost. A missions conference, only 37% felt like the gospel needed to be shared. To which you want to say, well, why did those other, what, 63% even show up? Why come to a missions conference if you're not going to do world missions? I've discovered a lot of times through many conversations with people who don't believe what the Bible says that usually people want to believe what they want to believe no matter what. There's a lady that wanted to marry an unbeliever. And I opened the text and said, you know what? The Bible says that you as a Christian should not marry an unbeliever. Well, I feel it's right. I feel it's right. Well, the Bible says it's not. So your feeling is wrong. I remember talking one time to one of the folks in my family. We were in some gathering in Terrell uh, some years ago, and this very issue came up about the, the heathen in Africa, the guy that's never heard. And this particular relative and I got to talking about it. It was just him and me in the truck driving along. And I shared with them about what we're going to see here in Romans. And he said, oh, no. No, that's just, that's just not right. You're reading that wrong. And so we got home. He was a big Matthew Henry fan. And I went over and pulled out the volume on Romans 1, pulled it open, and said, hey, look what Matthew Henry has to say about this. No, 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 I don't want to look at that. It's, just, it's right here, but you don't want to see it because what you feel is so much stronger than what the text says. It's the lie that the devil's given us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Disregard the Word of God, go with what you feel, and let me destroy your life. What does the Bible have to say about the person who's never heard? Can they be condemned? Romans 1, look down at verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, meaning in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It's a great testimony as well that it's not by works, it's by faith in the gospel. What's the gospel? You hear that a lot. What's the gospel? Gospel in the Greek language means the good news. Somebody comes and tells you, it's a boy. In those days, the word gospel would have been appropriate because it was good news. Well, there was also good news regarding what God had to say to you, that you don't have to get to heaven by your own good works. Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's good news. That's the gospel, the bottom line. And Paul says that it is this gospel that saves both the Jew and the Greek. And that's important to notice. In a culture today that says any old way will get you up the mountain, Paul said, nope, the Jew, the Greek, can, you can keep going, the Mormon, the uh, Islam, all these other nations, all these other religions, there is only one way, and that is through the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. It's not a power. It is the power of God for salvation. It alone. Only one way. Through Jesus Christ. It is, uh, it's not a gospel message that just that anybody can believe whatever they want, but you have to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is this so exclusive? Why do we have to believe in this one message? Well, look at the very next verse. Verse 18. It tells us why. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why, is, why do we need the gospel? 
Because the wrath of God is revealed against sin. We're back to that question again. What are you going to do with your sin? Because God's wrath is going to be unleashed against your sin. Have a great diet code, that's fine. What are you going to do with your sin? Lived a great life, that's fine. What are you going to do with your sin? The wrath of God is revealed against those things. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the perspective that's given here in this text. The Bible doesn't say why unbelievers are not saved. What it's saying here is why everyone is worthy of condemnation. Say, well, that's kind of split in hairs. Yes, but it's important. Because our perspective usually is that God owes us to forgive us. That he, he should forgive us because he's a loving God. And we take his justice and we want to kind of sweep it under the carpet. The Bible doesn't say, the question isn't why aren't they saved, but, but rather why are they lost? Notice God's wrath is not revealed against those ignorant of Jesus. His wrath is revealed against sin. Or you could say it this way. People don't die for lack of a doctor. People die because they're sick. People don't die because they've never heard of Jesus Christ. People don't go to hell because they've never heard of Jesus Christ. They go to hell because they're sinners. And they know they are. And the text is going to go on to tell us exactly how we know that. I read where a group of students filed a lawsuit against SMU. This was several years ago. They sought damage because they took a computer course that was too hard for them, and all 12 of them failed it. 12 people in the class, 12 of them failed it. Not one of them passed the class. And so they collectively got together and decided to, to sue SMU because they failed the class. And a spokesman for SMU said that they offered these angry students a second chance at the class, but they turned it down. They'd rather sue the school. And he said this. He said, quote, that's how it is these days. You fail the class, you sue the school. And when I saw that, I thought that is exactly how it is with spiritual life. We sin, and then we blame God for condemning us. We choose to do what's wrong, and it's God's fault that he doesn't forgive us. We feel it's our right to pass in spite of our failing performance. You know, God is not obligated to forgive anybody's sin. He is obligated to judge it because of his justice. If God saved only one person out of the billions born, it would still be a testimony to his amazing grace. But you know what? He's done more than that. He has provided salvation to everyone who believes. Later in Romans, you're going to see in chapter 5 what Adam did by bringing sin on the whole human race, Jesus Christ reversed in some sense by bringing the potential for salvation to the whole human race with the one qualification that you must believe. not going to force it on you. You chose to sin, you choose to believe and have your sins forgiven. Notice this text says that mankind suppressed the truth. Did you see that? all who suppress the truth. It's not that they didn't know. It's that what they knew, they rejected. What was it that they knew? Well, not the gospel yet. We haven't gotten that far. What was it that they knew? Look at the next verse, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Or if you look in your margin, as mine says, 
among them. Either translation works within the context. Because that which is known about God is evident within them or among them. For God made it evident to them. He didn't leave them in the dark. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Wonderful summation of how we can be justly condemned. See, what about the heathen in Africa that's never heard? What about the heathen in America that's never heard? What do they have? They have the creation. And this text is a slamming indictment against the evolutionists that say that design does not imply a designer. Creation very clearly shows us that all of this didn't just happen, but that there is a divine design and therefore a divine designer, the creator behind it all. And if there is a creator, then he is to be thanked and he is to be worshipped. There is something in, in all of us. You go to, again, the heathen in Africa that's never heard about Jesus Christ, and they're worshipping something, be it a totem pole or the sun. They're worshipping creation because it's the closest thing they can figure out to a creator. They see it, and yet they reject the true God. They do not respond to it. The second paragraph of our Declaration of Independence begins with these words. Very familiar, but think about them in this context. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. See, even a group of deists, including Thomas Jefferson, affirm that because of creation, there are some things that are just naturally true, some things that are just self-evident. Say, but hey, what about if somebody does respond to God's creation? What if they are given the creation and they say, wow, there's got to be more to this than simply the sun and the seasons. What's God going to do at that point? The Bible's clear that if people will respond to the revelation that's been given them, then God will take them the next step and give them more revelation. But if they don't respond to the revelation that's been given them, God's not going to give them more revelation because with more revelation, rejected comes greater condemnation. Incidentally, this is why Jesus always taught in parables. When he was teaching the big crowds, the masses, he would teach in parables because they would either receive it or they would reject it. So the parables would either reveal more truth about God or it would conceal that truth about God if you weren't really looking. In Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10, you had an Ethiopian and a Greek who were faithful with the revelation that God had given them so far. God sent Philip, God sent Peter to tell them about Jesus Christ. They had a revelation, God gave them more. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is standing on Mars Hill. They're, uh, they're on Mars Hill in Athens. And he's talking to all these people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes them back to creation and says, The God whom you worship, the God who made all the creation, now I'm going to tell you who he is takes him all the way down the line through history to Christ. But he starts at creation. 
just as Paul writes here to the Romans. The creation demands a creator. And that creator, the book of Colossians says, is Jesus himself, Jesus Christ. That God made everything that there is through his son, Jesus. The Bible clearly shows that God will condemn no one for being ignorant of Christ, but everyone who violates his own moral standards. People don't go to hell because they don't know about Jesus. People go to hell because they have violated their own conscience. And they know they have. I read back in the morning news just a few months ago in March, there was a guy who saw a man throw a brick through a restaurant window down in Dallas. Did you read this? Threw a brick through a restaurant down in Dallas, and this guy pulls a gun on this intruder. He identifies himself as a policeman and says, freeze. The guy hits the ground. This uh, guy with the gun goes over and puts the cuffs on the guy, gives him a little pepper spray in the face just for good measure, and uh, waits for the Dallas police officers to come. The police officers come, arrest this intruder, and they also arrest the witness for impersonating an officer. When I read that, I thought, you know what? That's exactly what we do. We have violated our own standard. This guy arrests so-and-so, this man, for breaking the law, while he himself, at the very time he's doing it, is breaking the law. He violates his own standard and is justly condemned. Did he do a good thing? Sure he did. But he also broke the law and is justly condemned. Recently, very recently, up in Utah, the Salt Lake Tribune reported on some technicians, car stereo technicians, installing a stereo in this guy's truck, found a bag of marijuana in the truck and called the cops. Well, the guy didn't know this, that they'd call the cops. Cops show up and... This one officer comes up to him and says, uh, do you know why I was called? And the man kind of hung his head and he said, well, yeah, it's, it's because of that bicycle I stole, isn't it? <laughs> and the policeman says, yes, that, and? And the guy says, well, it's that, it's that marijuana pipe I have in my truck, isn't it? And the policeman said, yes, that, and? And the guy couldn't remember anything else, and so the policeman says, well, what about that bag of drugs that was found in your, in your, in your truck? You see, the guy's conscience condemned him. And the source, the source that I read this from said, you know what, it's a good thing this guy had a bad memory or they could have been there all day. <laughs> because in all honesty, our conscience bothers us because we've violated. We know we've done wrong. Whether your standard's high or whether your standard's very low, no matter what your standard is, you have violated your own standard and can justly stand before God condemned. Your conscience condemns you. You're in Romans 1. Look over across the page or turn the page to the very next chapter, Romans 2, verse 14. Incidentally, what Paul's doing in the early part of Romans here is setting up the need. He's showing everybody needs Jesus. Whether it's the godless person in chapter 1, whether it's the moral person, which we're about to look like, look at, uh, whether it's the uh, religious person who has the law but breaks it, he says, no matter who you are, you violate whatever revelation you've been given, and you need Jesus Christ. Verse 14, look at what it says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, meaning people who don't know the Bible, you could say people who've never heard of Jesus Christ, when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts 
alternately accusing or else defending them. You see what he's saying? He's saying that it doesn't matter how high or how low your standard is. Everybody knows that murdering is wrong. Everybody knows that lying, that stealing is wrong. Our problem is we don't mind doing that to other people. I can date your sister and kiss her, but you can't date mine and kiss her. Okay? Double standard, isn't it? I can cut you off on the highway, but don't you cut me off on the highway. I can talk about you behind your back, of course, for prayer, but you can't talk about me behind my back because that's gossip. Right? We all have a double standard. However how high, however how low, we have all violated it. And every single one of us can stand condemned. Nobody's ever going to stand before God to be condemned one day and say, that's not fair, because our conscience will bear witness that what we have done we know is wrong. It's like this guy standing before this cop. You almost feel sorry for him, you know, as he's standing there saying all these things that he's just getting himself deeper and deeper because his conscience troubled him, as does ours. So the guy who's never heard about Jesus, is he, is he justly condemned? Yes. Not because he's never heard, but because he's a sinner and he knows he is. Creation tells him there's a God, he suppresses that truth. His conscience tells him he's doing wrong, he suppresses that truth. And is justly condemned. Look at the screen at this text. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and say nothing to all the nations, so that they have no obligation to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, nor to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even though I don't really need to be. Does that sound like the Bible? I sure hope not. Notice Jesus in this picture is going, shh. Don't tell anybody about me. Because as soon as you tell them, then they're obligated to believe. And if you don't tell them, if they stay ignorant of me, then they get to slip into heaven on a loophole. That is not the Bible, is it? Notice it's the not translation, the non-offensive translation. Okay? We know what the Bible really says, but this is how we live. This is how we live when we don't share Christ with our neighbors. This is how we live when we don't support or go on mission trips. This is how we live. It's not really that important that we tell people about Jesus Christ. It's not really that important that we get involved in ministry. Trusted Christ years ago and haven't done squat for Jesus since. Why? It's not that important. It's really not that big a deal. And you might as well write this in your Bible for Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Now, how does it really read? Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. You see, there is a need. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why, Jesus? Why should I go across the world? Moreover, why should I go across the street? Because there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And if people don't hear about Jesus Christ, people are going to die and be condemned because they have violated their own conscience and they have not heard the way of salvation. The only way to heaven is through a person, that is Christ. And here's the kicker. 
that the only way to hearing of Christ is through a person, and that's you. A year ago in May, just 13 months ago, there was a guy named Leonardo Diaz doing some mountain climbing down with some friends, uh, trying to reach the summit of the Nevado del Ruiz, the volcano down in the Andes Mountains. The second day out, they hit a bad blizzard, and Diaz got separated from his party. Couldn't find him. His rations were running low. And uh, ironically, he had a cell phone in his backpack, but all his prepaid minutes were used. So he couldn't call anybody. Fully charged cell phone, but couldn't call anybody. And there he is starving, freezing, and figures, well, it's just all over, and he just kind of sits down and waits to freeze. And the phone rings. You know who it was? It was a solicitor asking him if he wanted to buy some more minutes on his phone. (laughs) True story. Well, and of course, he was rescued as a result. Now, how many times at dinner time do you get the phone call and you listen with, as if your life depended on that solicitor? Never, right? In fact, what we do is we say, thank you, take us off your list. Or if I've got time, I'll share the gospel with them. You say, can I ask you a question? I say, sure, if I can ask you a question. And I'll say, if you were to die today, stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Usually it's just silent on the other end of the phone. And one lady said, one lady, I didn't plan to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. One lady said, sir, what does that have to do with my survey? <laughs> and I blew it. I said, ma'am, what does your call have to do with my evening? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I should have said something a little more godly. I told that to Brian. <laughs> Brian said I should have, after I said that and basically ruined my opportunity, Brian said, and I'm from the Mormon church. (laughs) But I did. Well, you know what? If you, what would happen if Diaz had gotten this phone call and he had said, ma'am, take me off your list and hung up his cell phone? How often do we view hearing the gospel as a rude solicitation? We've got no time for that. Before you came to Jesus Christ, when you heard the gospel over and over and over and over again, isn't that how you responded? Man, I don't need that. Get out of here. But when you realize your need, when you realize that without that information, without that call to come to Jesus Christ, you are dead. Then all of a sudden, you don't mind the solicitation, you welcome it. There's a lot of people that you're going to share Christ with. They're going to look at you as a solicitor, that you're ruining their evening, you are in the way, and they're going to just brush you off. But there's also people that God is going to bring to a certain point to where they realize their need, and all of a sudden you are the one through whom Jesus Christ is made known to them, and they trust Christ. I don't know that you realize how blessed you are Nothing to do with me. It's every bit as true when Brian preaches. Every bit as true when David or any of the other elders preach. How blessed you are to have a church that tells you the truth. I want to encourage you sometime during the holidays, go to some other church. Find the most liberal, wacko church that you can and go to it. One of my vacations, I went to several churches. I went to a cult here in town. I went to a unity liberal church here in town. I just wanted to hear what was going on. In the Mormon church, I heard that if I didn't tithe, I'd go to hell. And in the liberal church, we sat around and read poetry. I literally almost got sick to my stomach and left early. 
But that's what, that's what Denton is getting if we don't tell them the truth. So whether you go around the world or whether you go across the street, the only way to hearing of Christ is through a person. And my friend, that is you. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Yes. Then let's live like it is and share Christ with other people. Let's pray. Lord, we are privileged today to not just have the creation that tells us of your invisible attributes, to not just have our conscience that convicts us of sin and convinces us of our need for you, but that the revelation has gone beyond the natural to the special, to the Bible, that has revealed in your word why we are sinners and that the need for forgiveness of sin has been fully met in Jesus, the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven. And Father, we recognize that that is not an arrogant statement. That is a statement of great grace, that you had no obligation to do anything to our sin but judge it. And instead, you sent your Son to die for it. And through him, anyone who would believe would have forgiveness of sin. Father, I thank you for those who have come to Christ as a result of our missions work in Russia and other places. Those who have come to Christ through our youth group and the trips to Wheeler Peak. Those who have come to Christ sitting right here in this room. And those who have come to Christ through the words of the Christians who have scattered across Denton throughout the week. Lord, I pray for this week that you would provide us that we would look for a divine opportunity to share Jesus in a very simple, non-threatening way with other people, and that we might enjoy the great privilege of seeing someone's eyes open to the truth that they have suppressed all their life, and that they would receive it just as this Diaz did on the mountain, this call for forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that there are any here today who are still suppressing that truth, suppressing the clear gospel that they've heard. They might repent, change their mind, and place their faith no longer in themselves but in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, who have made that choice, that we would not just go around the world, but walk across the street, walk across the office, and share the good news. And you provide that opportunity. Lord, we worship you and we are honored to be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you.